You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Sri Lanka's investigation of the Easter massacres continues, with some ISIS videos surfacing. Apps with aggressive adware are found in Google Play. Context-aware fishbait may be bringing the QBot banking trojan to an email thread near you. Facebook seems to think that the FTC is about to hit hard and sets money aside for a rainy day. And the Wall Street market, a contraband souk on the dark web, may be engaged in an exit scam. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Jack Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, April 25th, 2019. Sri Lanka's investigation into the Easter massacre continues, as does the national state of emergency. The jihadists seem to have achieved one victory in addition to the murders they intended. The Catholic Church in Sri Lanka will suspend all services until the government can secure them. There's video out online of figures allegedly associated with the bombing pledging allegiance to ISIS. Sri Lankan authorities continue to investigate not only the bombing itself, and apparently there was an additional bomb found that failed to be detonated, but also the issue of how they could have overlooked their own warnings of an impending jihadist action. How the attacks came to be coordinated will be an important piece of the puzzle, The Easter massacres do indeed appear to have been carefully arranged by a group of perpetrators. This isn't a case of pure inspiration, of some radicalized soul deciding to strike a blow of, say, the pack at a mock howling in the hope of being heard by a lone wolf. In any case, investigation continues as authorities in neighboring South Asia countries look to their own intelligence about this class of threat. Security firm Avast has found some aggressive adware apps in Google Play, They're for the most part lifestyle apps, and they've achieved some 30 million downloads. Some of the apps in question are Pro Pick Zoo, Photo Blur Studio, Move Tracker, Magic Cutout, and Pro Photo Eraser. They've been reported, and many are now gone. They were not only serving a lot of pop-ups, which is irritating in itself, but in doing so, they were also loading some potentially unwanted programs and draining phone batteries. Researchers at JASC are describing some context-aware phishing that distributes the QBot banking malware. The payload is carried by an email that appears to be a reply to messages in one of the victim's existing email threads. So don't assume that just because the email came in with a reply to something Betty in HR or Bob in Finance emailed you a couple of days ago that it must be legit. Think before you click. The Federal Trade Commission is increasingly looking at personal sanctions for Facebook's CEO Mark Zuckerberg. 
The FTC is investigating the company to see if it violated a 2011 consent decree with the commission in which the social network agreed, among other things, to both notify users and get their explicit permission when information about them is shared in any way that exceeds the privacy settings the users have established. The latest investigation was opened in 2018, shortly after the Cambridge Analytica scandal broke. Regulators are examining Mr. Zuckerberg's past statements on privacy to determine if he can be held personally responsible for a breach of this agreement. The thought of finding Mr. Zuckerberg himself has also gained support from some lawmakers, with Senator Richard Blumenthal saying such a measure would send a powerful message to business leaders across the country. Facebook's recent record of privacy mishaps is having an impact on its reputation. A threat post poll found that 75% of security professionals express some degree of mistrust in the company. Such mistrust extends to related philanthropic and educational endeavors. An online learning platform called Summit, which was funded by Zuckerberg and his wife and developed by Facebook engineers, is facing growing resistance in schools across the country from students, parents, and teachers who say the technology leads to health problems stemming from too much screen time and isolation from peers. But so far, anyway, mistrust hasn't resulted in declining revenue. Let's turn to our in-studio analyst on this Take Your Kid to Work Day. What effect is all this having on Facebook as a business, Jack? You know all about Facebook. I do, even though I prefer Instagram, which, as you know, is a Facebook property. Well, Dad, Facebook told its investors yesterday that it was setting aside $3 billion, and that's billion with a capital B, against the likelihood that the Federal Trade Commission's investigation of data abuse would go against the company. So the House of Zuckerberg seems to think that the FTC is not going to let them skate, and so they've priced in the cost of the next consent decree. People think the total settlement could rise as high as $5 billion, and that's $5 billion with a big, big B. But for all that, Facebook's stock prices hasn't suffered. It's even gone up because the company is reporting good revenue numbers. So, Dad, I think this shows how much money is sloshing around in Silicon Valley. It's like they found $3 billion that fell out of their pockets when they were sitting on their couch or something. If Facebook is hit with penalties in the 3 to $5 billion range, that will exceed by two orders of magnitude the old record the FTC set back in 2012, when it levied a $22.5 million fine against Google for an earlier set of privacy issues. When it comes to protecting their enterprises, many organizations have come to the conclusion that detection isn't enough, and they need to implement threat hunting to seek out bad actors in their networks. Jason Michael is from Devo, a company that provides data analytics, and he advocates not only being able to hunt through your network, but being able to move through time as well. If you look at the the statistics of cyber breaches and what they call dwell time, dwell time is, you know, how long is this threat actually in an environment before it gets detected? Unfortunately, those dwell time statistics are still astronomically high. Even though we've got the sharing going on, we've got all of, you know, this latest and greatest technology that's available to the industry. The dwell time gets higher and higher and higher for me. So I'm sitting here to where it could be a month before I am aware that this threat was even inside my organization. That's why it's critical to have the capability to ingest the threat intelligence, arm your technologies with it for real time, but also have a solution in place that 
enables you to go back in time uh, in a large scope, not just 30 days, not just you know three weeks or whatever. I need to have a solution, a centralized or enterprise type log management solution to where I can keep all of my cyber data, all of my all of my data in a centralized location for a year, right? To where I could say, no matter what information that gets provided to me, I could immediately arm that my solution with this intelligence and go back a year ago to see, has there ever been any traces of this threat in my organization? So uh, forgive me, uh, uh, perhaps a um, an awkward or uh, a, a simplistic uh, metaphor here, but I'm kind of imagining, you know, if I have a, the lobby of my building and I come into work one day and I notice that, you know, someone has uh, stolen a painting off the wall um, and I'm not sure when they did it, I, the first thing I would do is go to my security cameras and, and rewind and see when somebody came and took that painting off the wall. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about here with the ability to go back in time and, and see when things happened? It absolutely is. So, you know, I, I love that scenario you just brought up because it, it's very applicable to the cyber world as well. Because that's why there's technologies out there that do packet capture, as they call them. So it records all the activity that is happening on the network. Also, you know, very stringent logging capabilities. So anything that's happening on the endpoints or in the, in the systems, it's being logged and saved and historically retained. So yes, if I, from a physical environment, you know, someone stole that painting, I'm going to go and look at all my CCTV cameras and re- hit the rewind button and see who walked in the door, who actually went, went into that part of the room, who touched the, the painting and where did they go out, you know, what door did they leave it with? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have that same kind of thing in the in the cyber world. We have our doors Right, whether it's our firewalls that are the locks on the doors, the packet captures, and the you know the surveillance systems, I mean, there the data is there. So if you're looking at it from a physical or a virtual type of environment, the approach is exactly the same. It's just, do you have the tools in place to accomplish the goal? And then I suppose part of it is is dialing in how much uh, storage you want to throw at this situation, and how far back you want to be able to go back. Exactly. So that's obviously a a critical business decision that always has to be looked at was how important is this data to me? How long do I need to retain these specific data? Some data you might want to keep longer than the others. Some organizations, depending on what their roles and responsibilities are, by regulatory or legal requirements, they have to keep things you know, for certain time periods just to, you know, to be legal and compliant. So it all, it, it, yes, it all depends on what your business is, what your models are, and what regulatory requirements you have in your organization. That's Jason Michael from Devo. Honor among thieves? Proverbially, there is none. And so the proprietors of the dark web contraband market Wall Street Market seem to have scampered. Infosecurity Magazine and others are calling it an exit scam. Here's what raised people's eyebrows. An official moderator of the Wall Street Market posted a notice saying that a server crash had made it impossible, for a while anyway, to synchronize blockchains and wallets, but that they were working on it. Here's what the moderator said. Quote, Due to this incident, we were forced to send crypto assets manually to the waiting list Bitcoin wallet, as we have to wait for this process to complete, so that coins can be sent to the appropriate matching escrow wallet. 
Our technical advisors said that the platform will soon shift to the maintenance mode in order to prevent sending more bitcoins, and they estimated the synchronization process to be successfully completed yesterday. End quote. Many disgruntled traders are woofing about this on Reddit and Dread, Dread being a dark web service a lot like Reddit. They think Wall Street Market is about to vamoose with the coin they picked up when the old dream market closed. Jack, what do you think? Dad, I think it sounds like hocus-pocus misdirection. To distract people while these guys bubble away all the altcoin and then hit the road. So you're not buying the server crash excuse, Jack? Nope. It's like when old people like you were my age and they said, the dog ate my homework. You don't say that anymore. Nope. Now we say, the algorithm erased it. It's kind of like a server crash. Or a bad dog. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, it's great to have you back. Um, uh, Time to revisit a story that you and I have chatted about before. Uh, This is about the NSA, and they're saying uh, publicly this time that it may be time to drop their phone surveillance program. Bring us up to date here. So the call detail records program, the extent of it was uncovered in the 2013 Edward Snowden disclosures. We found out that most domestic phone carriers were routinely submitting the call detail records, so the metadata phone calls, to the National Security Agency. Obviously, it was a huge scandal. Congress, in response to the scandal, 
reformed the program so that the data now is retained within those telecommunications companies, although the government can request it from the FISA court. But even with that reform, there have been questions raised uh, both in Congress and in the Trump and Obama administrations about both the efficacy of the program and its uh, legality and constitutionality. Due to those concerns, the NSA took the remarkable step yesterday of recommending that the call detail records program be shut down. This doesn't necessarily mean it will shut down. It's ultimately the choice of the president. He is in charge of the executive branch. But to have this recommendation from the very agency that was carrying out the program is hugely significant and a major win uh, for advocates of civil liberties and opponents of electronic surveillance. And now, now we've heard rumblings that this might be coming for the past few months here. Ultimately, what's going on? Why does NSA uh, determine that this may not be worth the effort? Well, for one, they were exposing themselves to significant legal liability, although the Supreme Court has not weighed in on this issue. Lower courts at various points over the past several years have determined that the program not only does not comply with the original authorizing statute, uh, Section 215 of the USA Patriot Act, But it also presents significant constitutional concerns because we have a right uh, against unreasonable searches and seizures. The government generally does not have any, at least as the program existed prior to the reform, did not have any suspicion prior to collecting those phone calls. So that was a a major Fourth Amendment concern. So the, the government didn't want to get into a situation where the program was shut down. We were not adequately prepared for a a court-mandated shutdown and it caused a disruption. I think the more responsible way to do it is to anticipate the legal problem and shut the program down gradually. The other big issues uh, are efficacy and compliance. On the efficacy side, pretty much everybody who's reviewed this program has determined that it really has not been an effective counterterrorism tool, particularly as technology has changed. Um, Quite frankly, terrorists aren't really making phone calls anymore. They're Mm. using uh, encrypted applications. So it's just not that effective of a tool. Uh, And then compliance-wise, there were these news stories last year about how the NSA admitted to collecting millions of records that they were not authorized to correct. They were forced to purge those records to comply with the law. And that was obviously a major blemish on the program. So you have those those three issues, the legal liability, the efficacy, and the compliance. And when you combine those, it's just not worth it for uh, the National Security Agency to continue the program. Now, what about uh, members of Congress? I, I saw a report that uh, recently Senator Richard Burr from North Carolina, he's the Republican chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Uh, He seemed to still uh, be lending some support to this program. Yeah, there is a lot of institutional support, particularly from Republicans in Congress and certain members of the intelligence apparatus. I mean, Dan Coats is the national intelligence director. He's been supportive of this program in the past. We've seen in other contexts outside of surveillance, even when a department itself says a program isn't necessary, Congress is the ultimate arbiter. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the Defense Department has told Congress we don't need any more of this type of you know, military bomber. We have enough. Right. Uh, it's not worth it to provide funding. And for whatever reason, Congress is like, no, we're going to give you the money anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that certainly happens with surveillance programs. The NSA is an agency that's beholden to both the executive branch and the legislative branch. The one thing that works in the favor of those who are opposed to this program is that 
the reform package, the USA Freedom Act that passed in 2015 is due to expire at the end of this year. So there is this natural leverage point for opponents of the program to say, why should we reauthorize this in Congress if the NSA itself is telling us that this program is unnecessary and ineffective and it should be shut down? If it was just about maintaining the status quo and there wasn't this leverage point, then I think the views of, of Congress would matter more. Will there be sufficient congressional majorities to extend this now that the NSA has recommended ending the program? I, I tend to doubt it, especially mm. in the House of Representatives, which is, as you know, controlled by Democrats. Hmm. All right. Well, time will tell. I guess we'll see uh, how the White House weighs in and, and ultimately how it lands. But uh, certainly an interesting development. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.